Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello, and welcome back to Vice and Easy. Thank you again so much for tuning in last week for our season two recap partnership with Vice of Miami podcast. Definitely go give them a follow and a listen. It was really fun to relive everything good and bad about season two. But now let's get to actually a good episode in season three. We're going to be breaking down season three, episode five, entitled The Good Caller. Per IMDb, the synopsis is as follows. Crockett attempts to help a high school football star achieve his dream while others pressures him to help bring down a teenage drug lord. And now we open this episode with some fresh, not not the stale B-roll that we had a lot in season one and season two. We're getting some fresh footage from a rowdier part of town, as they call it. I like the way that Crockett and Tubbs describe it in this next clip. Sociology majors are out in full force tonight. And the semester must be out. They're trying to do a little cram. Also, I really like the Jan Homer music they have playing in the background. And I can't quite ID it. Don't at me. Don't DM me. I will figure it out and I'll try to post it on the Instagram because I know that Marty Castillo, his YouTube channel will definitely have it in there. But I kind of like it. It's a little bit more upbeat than usual. Now, there's a kid hanging around the payphones, looking a little stressed, doesn't look like he belongs there. Let's just put it that way because he doesn't look cool. He doesn't look calm and doesn't look collected. Speaking of collected, he's waiting (laughs) by the payphone, probably waiting on a call or to make a collect call. Kids, ask your parents. So Crockett has a good idea. He's going to go up to them and kind of play around and see if the kid will play right into Crockett. Unfortunately, it works. He basically, Crockett kind of slowly walks by him, asking like, he, like you know, acting like he knows him, like he's supposed to be there. And the kid goes, are you Tootie? <laughs> and at the same time, wait, wouldn't the facts of life been playing and Tootie was like a young 14-year-old girl and then he's supposed to be making this deal with a guy named Tootie. So Crockett plays along. He opens up kind of like a newspaper wrapped, very loosely packaged, but you see these big chunks of black tar heroin. Then the kid, again, this is definitely his first drug deal, says, wait, aren't you supposed to give me something? (laughs) Crockett, though, Always the one with clever comebacks. Gives it to him in this next clip. Um, you're supposed to give me an envelope or something. Yeah, yeah, I got that. Yeah, just how to take care of it. Oh my God! Oh, now be cool, be cool. You get up against that car right now. Surprise, surprise. Obviously, he pulls out his badge, and as he's getting the kid to position himself by the car so he can cuff him. Crockett calls on Tubbs for help because he notices that another car full of youths is rolling up and they do not look happy. Turns out they're really mad that someone else is going to be making a deal on their turf. These kids, please, again, if you are not driving, definitely go to the gallery that you can find at the Vice and Easy podcast Instagram page on the link tree on the website in the description notes of every episode because the way that these kids are dressed <laughs> black leather with yellow like detailing yellow stripes yellow accoutrement berets like I <laughs> I can't even get through it with a straight face I'm I can't even read my notes right now I <laughs> Okay, again, I am back. Please go see what these youths are dressed like. Also, speaking of gang youths, I included a picture of the gallery of David Caruso on Hill Street Blues. Now, as you may or may not know, Hill Street Blues kind of set the blueprint for a lot of these procedural cop shows. Stephen Bochco, the legendary writer, rest in peace, created this kind of universe. You'll know his other shows such as NYPD Blue. But Hill Street Blues was one of the first procedurals to really delve into character development and create character story arcs that you didn't really see 
in television with procedurals at that time, you'd kind of get more, you get a little bit into their backstory, but not the same way, not having a character driven procedural. So Stephen Bochco is really kind of the grandfather of that. So bring this back to gangs. David Caruso was the Irish gang leader in Hill Street Blues. I remember I was watching Hill Street Blues during lockdown and I almost peed my pants. So please go to the gallery, see this picture. It'll definitely be on the Instagram as well, even though it's technically not part of this episode. It's still part of the Miami Vice universe. And the way that people think that gangs dress and I get it you know gangs have to have a uniform they have to have color they have to have something that unifies them and just in this case it's a stovepipe hat and a shamrock on his shirt so oh please have a good laugh with that one this whole episode with outfits is a great laugh now what's the plot uh yeah I haven't really talked about that for a while I do apologize so turns out these apostles another gang are angry that someone is doing business Outside of this club called Zodiac, where this kid was waiting, making calls on the payphone, pacing back and forth. Now he's kind of busted by Crockett. So once Tubbs gets out of there, shows his badge, all the kids, youths, run away. Now, by the time that Tubbs follows, catches up to one and tackles him, the best looking one, I might, I might add, Surprise, surprise, he pulls out his badge because he's with Metro Gangs. Very 21 Jump Street, or as we'll learn later on in the episode, more like 23 Jump Street. So after the intro, we get Zwitek pulling up. No Zito in this episode. <laughs> Keep that in mind. Now, Crockett shows Zwitek the black tar heroin, and Zwitek is able to pinpointed as black tar heroin as such and black tar heroin is a very crude cheaper version of heroin so it is a little bit more dangerous and cheaper and easier to peddle so keep that in mind when we're speaking about this episode in black tar heroin now because they were able to get the quote-unquote opposing gang member aka the undercover guy from metro gangs Crockett wants to pause the paperwork just a little bit, just so he can get a little bit more information about this black tar heroin. And young Archie, as we learned, the kid that Crockett booked trying to peddle this, is really freaking out. He really doesn't want to be arrested. He just doesn't look like he belongs there. He just looks like he really was just caught up in wrong place, wrong time. And so that is our actual teenager. Now let's get to our fake teenager. Now this very handsome actor, Nick Corey, one of the most handsome actors I've seen on Miami Vice in a while. Like, my notes were like, wow, where is this guy now? Please stay tuned for the Vice Tea at the end of this episode when we break it down because I have a lot of very interesting stories about him. And I just looked him up on Instagram and he looks great today, but his career is a trip. So definitely stay tuned for that. Now, he's going to explain a little bit how he got into this whole. 21 Jump Street, or like, as I like to say, 23 Jump Street in this next clip. I look young enough to go under. That's right. How old are you? 23. <laughs> 23. <laughs> to the kids at Tamiami High, just uh, misbehaving 11th grade. And it is funny. I was listening to this other podcast that's not related at all to anything to do with like police or to cover, but they were just talking about 21 Jump Street. And they asked their listeners, do undercover cops have to do homework and assignments when they're undercover? Because is it too sus? Like, let's say if the teacher is handing out test results or talking about homework, they have to include this person to kind of make their cover work. So apparently, yeah, they do have to do the homework. They don't have to get A's, but they at least have to try and know what the teacher's talking about to be able to follow along. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I'm like, that's also very time consuming because you're undercover and then you also have to do reports and stuff at night and then you have to study and then you kind of have to, in this guy's case do gang activities and find out what's going on in the streets. So that is a lot of time and that's a lot of work. So kudos to them because that is tough. Uh, fun story. I, in case you can't tell by the voice, I looked and sound a lot older in high school and I remember, so I went to my high school for grade nine, then I left in grade 10 for a semester and came back. And 
I get I looked a lot different. I changed a lot in that one semester. And so a lot of people didn't recognize me and neither did the hall monitor. And he thought I was a narc. He thought I was like undercover 21 Jump Street. <laughs> and then it's funny then like I'll look back on photos. I'm like, oh yeah, I got some like old ass Luke Perry, Kiefer Sutherland, like I just never was a teenager. Like, you know, like I was just young adult. Like in The Sims, they just aged me up from child to young adult and no between because I just always looked sold. But hey, it actually has turned out okay now because people think I'm younger than I am. So I guess that is the trade off. But again, let's get back to the episode, back to the plot. Tubbs was able to find out that the bar manager knew that the kids were making drug deals because they would be conducting their drug deals on the phones at this Zodiac nightclub. So Crockett talks to them about the heroin and the older cop that is going to be John Spencer from West Wing says he's seen about four different overdoses. So they know that this stuff is not good quality and it is killing people. And they ask our 23 Jump Street (laughs) if he knew Archie. Archie, again, was the guy that got busted by Crockett. And he says, no, no. He's never seen him, never heard of him, doesn't seem to be involved in the gang activity. Then Crockett and Tubbs bring Archie in for interrogation. And it kind of seems like they're both playing a bad cop at first. And then we have Tubbs kind of being the bad cop until Crockett really gets his heartstrings pulled in this next clip. I just wanted to catch, man. Come on. What are you going to do now? Cry, punk? What do you want to use the money for? My football shoes. I play wide receiver for, for Eastside. When were you supposed to get the cash? In the morning, when I bought the envelope from Tootie to Luther. Well, those must be some dynamite shoes, pal. Because uh, you got yourself in a lot of trouble. My cleats was all worn out. And some scouts were supposed to come to the game next week. College scouts, come to look at you. Principal is going to put me off the team for this. Now, do you remember who else was a wide receiver back in the day? None other than James Sonny Crockett. And in fact, I have the scene from the pilot where he kind of explains his football career and he talks about this epic screen pass that they won the game with because you kind of hear it a little bit. I think the continuity is a little bit off. I need to hear the clip from this episode to remember, but I'll play that later on the episode. So definitely I am making sure that the writers are being held accountable for their fact checking on this one because football is a very big theme this episode. And you can see that this kid really is messed up. Like he really didn't mean to do this. You can tell this is not something that he's used to or natural. And like, obviously he was put in a tight bind and I'm very sympathetic to this kid. And this is a really sad story. And especially I've seen this happen at my high school. I can't really give any more details because even though I'm obviously no spring chicken, there were some real bad gangbangers at my high school that or like within the area. I don't even know if they attended my high school. And some kids would take the rap because they didn't want to have to deal with being labeled a snitch or anything of the sort. So I really do sympathize with this kid because it's very easy to get backed into a corner and to do something that you know is wrong, but you don't really have the options or the wherewithal or the social support to be able to turn that kind of easy money down. So I do like that they're exploring it in this episode. And so Crockett Castillo, the other lieutenant, I just know him as John Spencer. I totally forget what his character's name is. And Tubbs are all talking about Archie and what's going on and that they want to use him to get to Luther to be able to tack a possession charge on Luther. They do mention that Archie overall is a really good kid. He only has one prior for attempted assault. He was about to beat someone's ass. I 
curious on that. And they also just, you know, kind of explain it off when McCain comes in. McCain is kind of his father figure. McCain is someone who, quote unquote, works with his grandma, but we all really know what's going on. Wink, wink. Archie is all city. Now, someone who did not grow up in America, I did not know what this meant. So all city means that he is one of the top athletes in his city in football and in track. So I guess what all city could kind of be, I was trying to look into like a proper definition of this. So basically what they could do is kind of call all the top athletes at every single school and make a team of the best of the best, basically like the city all-stars. If this is different, please let me know. I did not grow up in America. This is just stuff I'm trying to Google and figure out. And it seems like McCain is pretty involved in Archie's life. He even mentions that Archie had not said anything about needing a new pair of cleats for the team and that if he had known that Archie had any money issues that would lead him down this path, that he would have done everything in his power to either gather contributions or fundraise or any other way for Archie to get this money rather than accidentally trafficking black tar heroin to a cop. Quick editing note before I get back into the plot. I was able to find out the name of the Jan Hammer song that opened up the episode. It is entitled The Good Caller, and I did link to it in the show notes to Marty Castillo's YouTube page. So thank you for that. I feel a little bit calmer about that. And speaking of music, we are now on our way to Luther's house. Unfortunately, I do not have a clip of this. I was too busy laughing at the outfits. (laughs) But the song that is playing is called Condemned by One Way. I also know their song Cutie Pie that is on the Grand Theft Auto 5 soundtrack. Now, this scene, I'm trying not to laugh because, again, their outfits are wild. And then I even made a note. I'm like, this guy looks familiar. So basically what the cops want Archie to do when he's making this deal is have Luther come out and grab the product and thereby they can grab him and charge him with possession. However, Luther is a little bit smarter than this. He opens the door and I guess, you know, to be fair, he's done this once or twice before and gets Archie to go around the corner to the side entrance and have his friend check it out. Surprise, surprise. Archie goes to the corner. Vice gets a little bit nervous because, again, like, what are they do? What are they doing? They're not going by protocol. This is not what they want to happen. And unfortunately, a shootout does occur by the side of the house. Now they're able to raid the house. And I will note just fashion wise before we get into this, as a body is being pulled from the house. I don't want to say this is a junkie house, but unfortunately they did find two dead teenagers inside as they're putting the teenager into the ambulance, or I should say the body. Gina and Trudy look like a million bucks, especially Trudy with these beautiful sunglasses. They're both in different shades of green. Gina's wearing more of like a chartreuse lime green top with a black belt. And Trudy is wearing a shirt. And there is a very funny scene. I made a gif of it of this guy trying to pee in their car. This like kind of drunk hobo is trying to pee in their car. And Trudy just grabs him and points him towards the bushes so he can pee. (laughs) So unfortunately, after this all goes down... Once the shots happen, Archie is able to call and warn Crockett and Tubbs, thereby actually saving their lives. If Archie wasn't able to give them that call, who knows what might have happened? And Archie does freak out. He is hurt. Thankfully, he's not shot. He's okay. And then after all this, the assistant state attorney comes by. His last name is Pepin with a horrific comb over. And they talk about Archie and, again, Vice waste no time talking up Archie, especially after he saved their life. And now this is what they want to plan on doing with Archie in the future. Ellis, Archie, age 17, case 20206, got Papa 12 grams. Suppose you guys want to cut him a deal. Yeah, I'd like to. We might have saved our lives back there. Two vice cops? (laughs) I guess so. What'd you do with him? We sent him home. He only had one prior, right? Mm-hmm. Done. No strings attached now. He's home free, right? How much I could do with him anyway. Remember this conversation. He's home free, right? No strings attached. Response, there's not much I could do with him anyway. Please keep this in mind. Now we talk with Luther. Now, Luther, I will give him credit. He 100% knows how to cover his own butt 
he you'll definitely notice him from Tale of the Goat. I will try to find a picture of his appearance in Tale of the Goat because I was like, this guy looks so familiar. Now, listen to the way he describes jail. Again, this kid, definitely a teenager, and this is how he describes jail. Because with your rap sheet, I got a shot at trying you as an adult. That means no more youth hall, Luther. That means jail. Man, jail is simple. If you're a man, you handle things. If not, you get handled. And I ain't no boy. Again, Luther is no dummy because, again, we just saw him in the interrogation completely denying that he knows or has anything to do with Count Walker. That's not his house. Quote, that's his cousin's house. He is quite smart and he knows how to play the game. So I just like the fact he's like, you get handled. Like, you know what? That's actually pretty appropriate description of prison. You get handled. And fortunately, it doesn't really matter about how much of a man you think you are, how much of a woman you think you are. It is not fun in games as we saw with Walk Alone. And so, well, now they're kind of at an impasse. Obviously, Luther's not going to talk. And like they say, they can stick him with charges, but they all know what's going to happen. And they talk a little bit more about this in this next clip. See, he knows it's not worth it to talk. He's going to do three months in juvie, then he's back in business. So you think you're going to get Luther as an adult? Well, it depends on who's doing the arraignments tomorrow morning. If you two hot shots can motivate the judge, we'll be full out of time. Wait a minute, wait a minute. We're on our way to meet this Count Walker. We show up in court tomorrow and any of his homies are there. We're made. Okay, a little bit wild, but also definitely keep in mind that a state attorney, first and foremost, this appears to be a political position. I need to double check on Florida, but I believe they are elected. So I believe they are more public servants than just, you know, working on whatever they want to work with. So they really do need public support, public backing. So keep in mind, this also has a political element to it because trying to get these charges to stick on a kid in order for him to be tried as an adult that is incredibly difficult. And the whole point of Juvenile Hall is to rehabilitate these kids and give them a second chance. A lot of times these kids are just dealing with the environment that they're brought up in and that they're dealing with and they don't really deserve to pay egregiously for stupid stuff they do as kids. And I'm not talking about extreme cases of rape and murder and all this. I'm We're talking about a drug dealing business and a lot of kids just get cut up in this. So that's the whole point to not charge them as an adult. And again, Count Walker is quite smart in order to have his business run by mostly teenagers, because as we learn in this next clip, he wants nothing to do with us olds. But don't tell me it's going to blow your cover with Count Walker. You're never going to get next to him. Oh, really? Why is that? Because you're like me, too old. <laughs> How do you do, fellow kids? That comes up in a little bit. First, we're going to segue into a montage that, again, I shouldn't have laughed as hard as I did. It's basically them basically Count Walker's gang, the fellas, or just fellas is kind of thrown up in graffiti while they're like cutting back to Count Walker and his goonies committing all these crimes. There are some really funny gifts, such as just robbing the store attendant by throwing a glass of water in his face and pointing a gun and the guy just hands over a lot of bills. Then we have them jumping someone else and his grandma comes out and beats them with a broom to get them off of them. It's hilarious. And then there's another scene later on that's actually quite sad. This actually kind of got to me a little bit where they pull over the limousine in front of all of these school kids and start, I don't want to say make it rain, but they basically throw dollar bills at these kids and the kids pick them up. And it's basically instilling not only respect as these kids have to respect these gangsters, but also showing them that this way of life is profitable and in their eyes would get them into a bit of situation that they're get them out of the situation that they're in and making it glamorous. So that was a little bit sad because that unfortunately is kind of how it works. And the song playing in the background is How Do You Get Your Soul? Or How Do You Sell Your Soul? Sorry. How Do You Get Your Soul by The Pretenders? And it's kind of interesting because that's Chrissy Hines' voice was not what I expected to hear during this montage. (laughs) 
so I have the gallery open while I'm doing this. They put a bag of trash over this guy's face as the grandmother comes to beat them with the broom. And then you have Count Walker smoking like a cigarette. Oh my God. It's just, it's so funny. And then he's with these two older women. Again, they could be like 21, but they're still so much older than he is on his arm. And they both have drinks in his hand, in their hands and he doesn't. And it's probably not his underage, but it's also like, maybe he just wants like a Capri Sun or something or like some Sunny D because, you know, he is 15 years old. Then Crockett and Tubbs giving off major, how do you do fellow kids energy in this next clip. And Count Walker is not buying it. Well, we was hoping maybe you'd sell us a little piece of your action. That way we could help you expand, make you some more of that good green money. Nobody gets hurt. Everybody's happy. Shoot. I'm already happy. Lane, you want to sit in it? Don't be afraid. See, I don't deal with adults, except the mommies. Juvie's got nothing to lose. People start looking at adult time, they get scared, start talking. No offense, but all you dudes over 18 smell like the man to me. And they try to persuade Count Walker to do business by saying that they're going to hook up with the apostles. And Count Walker just basically laughs them off. Then after, Crockett goes to visit Archie. And McCain comes out of the house, you know, just visiting the woman who works for him. Wink, wink. And they talk about Archie getting a clean slate and how hard it is to get a bad neighborhood. Crockett comes by to give Archie a gift. He comes by to give him cash and he comes to give him a really sentimental gift in this next clip. I, uh, I ran a screen past 95 yards in the Gator Bowl one year. <laughs> Probably the same year you were born. What position you play? Wide receiver. <sighs> I can't take this. If you hadn't been there this morning, this would be sitting on a shelf somewhere collecting dust for a long, long time. Oh, that's so sweet. Crockett gave him the game ball from the Gator Bowl. That is really touching that he says that if Archie hadn't been there, then that would have just been collecting dust. And this is Crockett's way of, you know passing down his torch, so to speak. Now, I went back to the pilot, checked all my notes, because I wanted to see how correct the writing team was in continuity with Crockett's football days in this next clip. Down passing situation. Yeah. Crockett. James Sonny Crockett. Very good, Tubbs. Next week, we'll work on your name. University of uh, uh, Florida, All-American wide receiver number 88. Am I right or what? Uh, that was a long time ago. You were sensational. I remember one time I watched you run a screen pass 90 yards with 10 seconds left on the clock, man, for the winning TD against Alabama. Funky honky. <sighs> it was 92 yards, Tubbs. Six seconds remaining. Aww. Only a three-yard differential between the pilot and season five, episode three. So kudos to the writing team for keeping those details very, very, very similar. Not exact, but very similar. So kudos to them, because I know a lot of the writing team, I do not recognize the writing team from the pilot, even the first season to now. So kudos to them. There is actually a little sweet part at the end of the scene where he tells Archie to stick with football and to go after that scholarship and impress all the scouts. And then Archie invites him to the game. Now in the Testrosa, Crockett and Tubbs are talking about adult charges getting pressed on Luther when they get a call about the apostles and possibly payback. So they go to a cafe to meet with Ramirez. And while Crockett and Tubbs are sitting in this cafe, they're facing towards the counter. And Ramirez comes in and very slyly and charmingly tells him not to turn around, orders, kind of flirts with the server. You can see him do a little wink. I made a gif of it and talks about what's going to go down. 
Now Ramirez goes back to the car again. Croc and Tubbs are still facing forward until Ramirez is closer to the car. Then Tubbs turns around. He notices a little glint, a glimmer. You can actually, when I slowed it down, I got the shot. It just looks like such a fake after effect. But unfortunately, laughter aside, it is a grenade launcher that launches a grenade at the car full of apostles. Also sets a nearby ice cream truck or food truck on fire. And the employee runs out on fire. And at this time, the glass from the cafe due to the explosion has shattered everywhere. You can see Tubbs on the floor looking a little injured. You can see that he's a little bit bloody. Crockett, thank God he's okay, runs out with his jacket and goes to smother the fire. And this poor stuntman, like I know this is what they do for a living, but my Lord, if that had been me reading the script, like, oh, no, I think that's a day I'm going to call in sick. You can see once you slow down and when I was grabbing media for this, that you can see that he is smothered head to toe, his hair, everything in flame retardant. And it does make for a great shot. But the things that stuntmen go through, round of applause for them. Once the lieutenant, Ramirez's lieutenant, sorry, John Spencer, comes by and they're talking to Castillo, kind of giving them a rundown of what happened. The lieutenant wants to go see Ramirez. He's at Good Samaritan Hospital. He's about to go into surgery. Again, I was like, ugh, like you just got blown up by a grenade launcher in a car full of like five other kids. Like, oof, that's so rough. And Crockett gets word in his car phone that Archie gets arrested. And Crockett's like, what's going on? Like, they made this deal. Archie should be fine. Like Crockett's going to go watch Archie at the game. Like he has no idea what's going on. So then we pan to East Side High. Now, there are lots of youth and in great outfits. Whoever the costume designer for this episode was having a field day because these kids look so stylish. I know this is supposed to be like a rough and tumble school. And you can tell how fake the side of the school is. You could tell the sign East Side High is like made that day. You could tell it's definitely not like a permanent fixture. I just thought it was really funny. There's also a news reporter in the middle of the mob trying to explain what happened and talking about the explosion. <coughs> And it turns out when Crockett goes to school to visit that the state attorney, again, our guy Pepin, is using Archie basically as an arc. And he wants to try and get Count Walker to talk and to admit his role so they can book him on murder one for the overdoses from the shady black tar heroin. Giving Archie the details about wearing a wire. More wire. If you can get Walker to say that he was Luther's supplier, then we bust Walker on murder one for the ODs. Uh, a wire? Yeah, bad idea all around. Let's get back into it. But let me ask you something. Where do you get off trying to get this kid to wear a wire? Listen, I'm not making him do anything. He wanted a choice. It's either this or we take him in on a trafficking bust. What trafficking bust? You took him down with 12 grams, remember? That case is history. Walker's prints were on all the packages we found in the trunk. Listen, I can pick Walker up right now on conspiracy if I charge Ellis with traffic. I don't give a damn if his autograph was on him. You gave this kid a free walk. Then I'm taking it back. Oh, wow. This is really heartbreaking because poor Archie is just stuck in the middle because his whole future is riding on the line. And he's so scared now that if he doesn't cooperate, he's going to get booked for trafficking and... Also, again, I am no legal expert trying to get murder one charges to stick. Murder one means premeditated murder. And knowingly selling bad drugs, I guess, would be incredibly hard for those charges to stick. I think it would be more along the terms of negligence and obviously trafficking manslaughter, but murder one, especially on a kid, that is, I understand they're trying to go for the highest charges they can. They want the most to stick. And then obviously it's going to come down a little bit. And if they really want to put Walker away as an adult, even conspiracy, I don't think would work. But murder one is also a huge Campbell. Crockett is right. And then we're putting this kid, Archie's life on the line, having him wear a wire to a known drug lord. This is crazy. 
The deal you made was with me. That was before I had six people killed and a mob ready to barbecue this school. All right, listen. You take down the Ellis kid to Pop Walker. What have you got? You buy a little piece for the community. But look at the case you got. You got nothing. You got fingerprints on baggies. You still got to prove that Walker not only handled the baggies, but he put the heroin in there. For that, you're going to need a confession, which you're never going to get. Anything happening, Court? I'll tell you what's going to happen. Walker's going to skate, and this Ellis kid's future is going to be ruined. Right. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Crockett. Thank you for putting this all into perspective because, again, no legal expert. And this is a assistant state attorney. Again, as he mentioned, he has this angry mob. He has all these parents, all these students, all these teachers who are angry and he needs public approval. This is again, I may be going on a limb, but this is where I see it coming from, that he doesn't give a crap about anything else except his chances at maintaining his position and office. And he is going to ruin this kid's life to get it. Oh, man. Well, let's make it a little bit more depressing. So now Crockett and McCain are trying to talk some sense into Archie and really don't want him to go along with the state attorney's deal in this next clip. Getting Walker to incriminate himself is a fantasy. And if he finds that wire on you... That's just a chance I got to take. You're selling yourself out. That's a chance nobody can afford. Let yourself be used, they'll use you for the rest of your life. What life? I put everything I had into getting that scholarship. That scholarship is what I'm about. I mean, how many times through the years have you been telling me that college was my only ticket out? Archie, that ticket isn't real anymore. They're just holding it out in front of you. Oh, man, don't start telling me that Archie, now. Archie, Archie, listen to me. I've been where you're at. I know what it's like to feel like you got nothing to lose. That scholarship was mine, man. I did the wrong thing for it. Now I'm going to do the right thing. But you're trading it for something you already own. Your soul. Ooh, I'm not crying. You're crying. <sighs> All right. Then Crockett tries to appeal to Archie one more time. He says that he'll change his testimony to get the evidence thrown out by making it look like a bad search, by making it look like he didn't follow proper protocol. Archie doesn't want Crockett to lie, but Crocky wants to do right by Archie. But Archie maintains he's going to do it. And they try to explain it one more time doesn't work and then they're all outside talking with Pepin with the state attorney and outside Crockett and McCain are giving Pepin a piece of their mind rightfully so and McCain is telling him to stop leaning on Archie and to do his own work which I also agree with Archie comes out and again they try to persuade him not to do it Pepin asks McCain if he's Archie's legal guardian and McCain says no that it's his grandmother and then Pepin tells Archie to call his grandmother to get permission because he needs her permission as his legal guardian. And my notes are just no in all caps with a ton of exclamation marks. Now at the precinct, Crockett and Tubbs are wiring Archie and giving him points to bring up in the conversation with Walker. Oh, man. Sorry. This is this gets very sad very quick. And they have a quick chat at the picnic table and then Count invites him to go for a ride. And my notes are, oh, no. And then Vice is on the move. I was able to get a really nice gif of the surveillance van in green. It's no longer the bug van with the Testarossa trailing behind and with the palm trees blowing in the background. Now, as a woman, I know this. You never go to a second location. If anything ever happens, if you are ever in danger, never go with someone to a second location. Now, in this case, they're able to trail the limousine. And so he does have eyes on him. And again, he is wired so they can hear everything that's going on in the conversation. Archie is so nervous. You could tell that he is he is so scared. He is sweating. He's stuttering. He's nervous. He looks and sounds really, really 
suspect. And he's asking Count for what Luther had. And he doesn't want to go to Walker's. Walker's wants to show him this giant closet he has. And, and he keeps bringing up Luther. He keeps getting so nervous. <sighs> I might make you, make you enough to buy six more if you turn me on to what Luther had. My wardrobe's terrifying. I got a closet as long as this cup. I'll show you. Oh boy. Like I mentioned, if you think a second location is worse, a third location is pretty much the end of your story. So if anything ever happens to y'all, just remember that. Do not ever go to a second or third location if you can help it. Do everything in your power to not. And unfortunately, in this case, Archie is backed into a corner because he has been persuaded by the state attorney to be a snitch and he keeps pressing on and on about luther and unfortunately the inevitable happened at his cousin's house you know that the heavy duty boy can we hook up on that luther luther didn't have nothing everything luther got came from me he got it patrol cars move heads up why you keep asking about luther you making me nervous yo he's got a Oh, man. And unfortunately, Archie is shot and killed just as Vice is pulling over the limo. And once they're able to drag Walker and his goon and the driver out, Crockett goes to try to save Archie, feel a pulse. But unfortunately, it's too late. And the song you hear playing in the background is Picture Book by Simply Red. And I'll talk a little bit more about the lyrics when we get to music. And it's an incredibly sad scene. And I definitely shed a tear when I watch this. And it does harken back to Milk Run. It does really, really hit you knowing that everybody who was looking out for Archie really didn't want him to do this. And they all knew the ramifications. And Archie thought he was doing the right thing. But sometimes the right thing isn't what's best for you. And in this case, the state attorney really just wanted to crack down on Walker and these gangs so bad that he would use this kid as collateral. And after when they're doing the investigation of the scene, Tubbs tells Crockett to go home and, you know, take a rest and that he'll deal with all the paperwork. Crockett goes to Archie's grandmother's house and McCain comes to the door and he very maturely says, you'll understand if I don't let you in. And then he leaves Crockett's at the door. The grandmother comes out, opens the screen door, gives Crockett the football, the Gator Bowl football, goes back inside and Crockett solemnly walks back to his car. Before he gets back into his car, he throws the football into the garbage and walks off and we end the episode. Whew, that was that was a tough one. So let us lighten the mood with some vice tea. So at first, when I was going through the guest stars, you have Keith Diamond, who played Archie. And I was looking at his IMDb and like nothing too crazy exciting. He was on an episode of Burn Notice, ER. But my favorite credit was actually his first credit. He was a voice in an animated series for Lupin, the French thief, the gentleman thief. And the Netflix show about Lupin is actually super, super, super good. So that's kind of like my recommendation of the week. So I thought that was an interesting crossover because that was 1979. Then Terry Kinney, who plays our favorite douchebag state attorney. Fun fact, best friends with Gary Sinise, a.k.a. Lieutenant Dan. And again, nothing too crazy in his IMDb. He was on Homicide Life on the Streets, which a lot of other Vice guest stars have been on. And I guess my parents didn't really watch it. They were more NYPD Blue. Like, I was watching a lot of NYPD Blue as a kid, and, like, some episodes I wasn't allowed to watch, but I was, like, very entranced by it. Again, another Stephen Bochco universe. Then, um, John Spencer, obviously, from The West Wing, and I was like, he didn't look that much older than The West Wing. I was like, oh, yeah, 1997 isn't that far removed from 1987. Like, I have to remember that 1987 was a long time ago, (laughs) that The West Wing is actually... 
quite old. It's only maybe 15, 13 years younger than Miami Vice. Then when I got to Nick Corey, I was like, wow, this guy's so handsome. Where'd I know him from? Then he's noted as Sue, J-S-U. That is the name that he's listed as, Garcia. Interesting. And I was, so I was kind of interested in that. I was like, okay, what prompted the name change? Because, you know, I'm all for that. I think that, you know, if he's embracing his ethnicity, he was born to Cuban immigrant parents in New York. He actually grew up in Los Angeles. He went to Fairfax High, where the flea market is, if you know, in Los Angeles on Sundays. Not the big one, not the Rose Bowl one, but the Fairfax flea market is kind of like the hipster influencer flea market. So I was reading a little bit more about him. And his IMDb gets a little interesting. You know, you see like one-off guest stars, guest stars, and then you see all these movies. Then when I went to his Wikipedia page, turns out that he became very close with a known spiritual leader named, I hope I get this right. I'm going to look it up one sec. Okay. I'm just going to read a little bit from his Wikipedia. So... John Roger Hinkins, born in Utah, was active in the Mormon faith, went to University of Utah, then came to California, started teaching at Rosemead High School, which is a suburb of Los Angeles, went to UCLA. Then the Mystic Traveler is a portion of his Wikipedia. Hinkins relates having had a near-death experience while undergoing surgery for a kidney stone in late 1963, after which he fell into a nine-day coma. After this experience, Hinkins says he became aware of another, quote, spiritual personality, unquote, that had superseded or merged with his previous personality. He began to refer to himself as John Dash Roger in recognition of this transformation. Hinkins termed this consciousness the mystic traveler consciousness and says that he was given the, quote, keys or began to, quote, anchor the consciousness on the planet after the surgery. This idea is a tenant of movement of spiritual inner awareness, MSIA, the spiritual movement he founded five years after the coma. He began to hold seminars as an independent spiritual teacher in the homes of friends in Santa Barbara in thousand. Oaks. I'm going to scroll a little bit down to other organizations founded in 1977. Hinks founded the Peace Theological Seminar and College of Philosophy, an educational nonprofit organization. In 1978, Hinkins created the Insight Organization with friend and fellow MSIA minister Russell Bishops. In 1979, Hinkins founded the Heartfelt Foundation, a volunteer-driven 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to serving and assisting people in any form of need. In 1982, Hinkins founded the Institute for Individual and World Peace, IIWP, a volunteer-driven 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to studying, identifying, and presenting the processes that lead to peace. IIWP owns and operates the Windermere Ranch, a 142-acre property in the Santa Inez Mountains that is used to breed and train Arabian horses. Now, for my non-American listeners, let's dive into a little bit what a 501c3 means. This is from the IRS. I'm actually on the website right now. To be tax-exempt under Section 501c3 of the Internal Revenue Code, an organization must be organized and operated exclusively for exempt purposes set forth in Section 501c3. And none of its earnings may inure to any private shareholder in, or individual. In addition, it may not be an action organization, i.e. it may not attempt to influence legislation as a substantial part of its activities, and it may not participate in any campaign activity for or against political candidates. Furthermore, organizations described in Section 501c3 are commonly referred to as charitable organizations. Organizations described in Section 501c3, other than testing for public safety organizations, are eligible to receive tax-deductible contributions in accordance with Code Section 170. So now when I'm thinking about the tax purposes of this group, remember, this is a charitable organization, all these different organizations he has founded. He was producing in partnership with Sue Garcia. I'm sorry, I have no idea how to pronounce it. I don't know if it's Jesus or Jesus Garcia. And he starred in a number of these films based on the writings of this John Dash Roger. 
And I was also trying to look up Windermere Ranch because, again, Santa Inez Mountain is not too far away from where I am in Los Angeles. So I was incredibly curious about it. However, it doesn't seem like it exists anymore. It was even posted on Mr. Garcia's Instagram page. I will say Mr. Garcia has aged like a fine wine. He looks amazing. And it seems like he's somewhat still involved in mainstream Hollywood doing cons and selling autographs and whatnot. I... I'm very curious how these films were funded, if they were funded by this, quote, charitable organization. I, of course, am a little bit skeptical of many nonprofits that do not seem to be in accordance with the principles on which they are based and is very easy for churches that are not, I don't want to say kosher, I guess is the best term to use it, like uh, a big one here in Los Angeles to dodge the tax man in that respect. So there's much more literature on that if you'd like to find it. However, must say that Jesus Garcia seems like a pretty good guy and I have no idea how to pronounce his name. I am so sorry. But uh, yeah, that was my very interesting vice tea that I went down a long rabbit hole because again, he kind of uh, bucked mainstream Hollywood to star and produce and what more with this uh, well-known spiritual figure, John Dash Roger. And I will keep you posted if I find anything more on Windermere Ranch. Now, let's get into fashion. <laughs> now, in an episode with that many stylish gang members, it was really hard to focus on the main characters at hand because <laughs> I could not even decide who was the most wild card out of the wild card. I do want to say I am going to nominate... Count Walker's goon, not his driver, his goon with all the gold chains, little hat. all, And I just love their shade of blue because that is the shade of blue that looks so good on me. So I am being a little vain by picking Count Walker's crew as the best dressed gang over the apostles this episode. However, I really do like the beret and the one single cross earring <laughs> that the that Martinez was wearing when he was sneaking into the apostles. However, best dressed woman, obviously this is going to be a tie between between Gina and Trudy because they're both looking amazing in different shades of green. Best dressed man I am going to have to give it to Crockett. I think Tubbs did look like a million bucks, and I really like the suspenders. But I cannot get over how good Crockett looks in that gray shirt sport jacket. It's not really a jacket. It's not really structured. It kind of looks like it's like a softer fabric. But Crockett looked like a million dollars. However, all my wild cards got to go to Count Walker's crew. I just love that, you know, that really, like, I don't want to say royal blue. Actually, it is a royal blue. I'll say royal blue. Not to uh, further glamorize gang members, but I do have to say they look like a million bucks and I could not stop laughing the entire episode. Ah, now let's get depressing and talk about music. So again, like I was saying, The Pretenders was kind of an interesting choice for the gang montage. So I went with the heartbreaking use of picture books, picture book by Simply Red in the final scene with Archie's death. Here are some of the lyrics. Many types came to see the picture. Many types came to see the picture. Only he had the right to come. Only he is long gone. Will or win or wicked, it's written in it. Damn. And that is how we say goodbye to Archie in this episode. And unfortunately, on that down note is also how I'm saying goodbye to you. Just want to thank you all for supporting. I got a few um, celebratory and really supportive messages about the bartending competitions. I will keep you posted on that. One I did not get into, one I got ghosted by, and one is still in progress. So one, maybe two out of three ain't bad in the words of meatloaf. <laughs> Thank you again. You can always like subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple, YouTube. You can find me everywhere. And if you do not see this podcast on your platform of choice, please let me know and I will will it so. Don't forget to follow me on all things social at Vice and Easy Podcast. And I look forward to seeing you all next week. And with that, I will leave you of our final words of wisdom from this episode. Man, jail is simple. If you're a man, you handle things. If not, you get handled. And I ain't no boy. Hey man, Miami Wise is number one new show.